Uh, we are in a series called God First, and this is what we've been, uh, we've been focusing on and what we're talking about again today. I am a pro at uh, saying the wrong thing at the wrong time. Anybody else? Foot in mouth? So forget, so many hands. I'm so glad to be in good company. So I want to tell a story about me putting my foot in my mouth. And I want to say up front, no one in this room was involved in this story. So don't be like looking around saying, was it that one? So we had a friend that had a, a baby. And uh, I, you know, I saw, saw the baby newborn. And I hadn't seen the baby for, I don't know, two, three, four months. It had been a while. Um, and, and she came over and she brought the baby over for a visit. Of course, Emery loves babies. Of course, Esri still is kind of, you know, into the babies. Oh, that's my size, you know. Um, and so, so she, you know, she brings the baby in in the, in the carrier and sets the baby down and, you know, gets the baby up and has the baby. And she's, her body is shielding me from the baby. And she kind of turns around and brings the baby up. And I get my first view of the baby. And my response is this, oh, that's a huge head. Now, some of you aren't parents, but every mother in this room is like, that did not happen because I would have slugged you. Uh, mothers are very protective of their child. And, and it, was, it was so involuntary. Like, it wasn't, and it was a big head. Like, in my defense, like, the baby's fine. It's gonna, you know, he, he's grown into it. He's wonderful. He's awesome. But it just, it just caught me off guard. It had been a while. Anyone? Anyone top that? Don't, don't, don't share. Share with me after and make me feel better if you've got one that's better than that. But we do that, don't we? There are things that we shouldn't say. And we shouldn't say them to certain people. And we end up saying those things, right? We, we what is it, the open mouth, insert foot. Did I say that right? Is that the things that you shouldn't say? Uh, we've all done that before. You, we don't talk about politics when Uncle Denny, the diehard Republican, Democrat, whatever comes over. We don't talk about politics because then the whole Thanksgiving meal is what? Ruined. Because we're too busy fighting with one another. We don't talk about certain things. I remember um, the first time, it might have been the only time, but I think it was, it might have been, but the first time that I cussed in front of my dad. And I knew that I did it, and I knew that he heard it, and I just went, white, and then it was like, like I was going to puke, just kind of came up, this like, this is past each other in the night, and I was like, <gasps> and my dad looked at me with this, you know, this look of, I heard what you said, I'm not going to kill you now, <laughs> and he said to me, I don't want to hear you say that again, and uh, I didn't when he was around. <laughs> there are certain things we shouldn't say. Um, there are certain things that we shouldn't say to God. Did you know that? Sometimes we think that we can say anything to God, and, and in some ways we can. Like we can pour, our, pour, pour out our hearts to God. But there are things in the scriptures that actually says, God says, don't, I don't want to hear you say that. And over the next three weeks, we are going to talk about three statements that we are not to say to God in this context of, of putting God first. And I think that will all make sense. So if you want to open up your Bibles, grab your Bible. If you want to just be right where I am, you can grab it. Pew Bible looks just like this. I am on page 152, 152, second column, real easy. And we're going to dive into the scriptures a little bit 
this morning. Now, we aren't going through all of chapter 7. That's the chapter we're in. We're moving through Deuteronomy verse by, or, uh, chapter by chapter. And I'll just give you kind of, this is, this is an overview of that whole chapter. If you want to take a, pull out your phone and take a shot of this when you're reading Scripture, you can see this. And you can see the repetitive nature. We've got command, blessings for following command, 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 and more blessings. You have this, this repetition over and over again about the commands of God and how they bring about the blessings of God. But then within that, we have three things that we are not supposed to say to God. God says, don't, don't say that. I don't want to hear that. Come out of your mouth. Now, if you got your Bibles open, Deuteronomy chapter 7, Deuteronomy chapter 7, look at verse 17 with me. Now, this is an incomplete sentence um, because we're not going to read all the way through just yet, but, but I think it'll make enough sense that we can keep going. If you say in your heart, these nations are greater than I, how can I dispossess them? Now, you, you remember the story, if you've been with us through this whole series, you, you know that as we started this book, this whole book is, is addressed to a generation, and that generation is looking back to the previous generation, and Moses has told the story about why they aren't in this promised land, the land flowing with milk and honey or cookie bars and pizza, right? Why are we not in this good place? Why are we camping when we could be in a hotel? Makes no sense. Right? Those campers out there, anybody? No? You make no sense. You don't, I don't understand you. Mom and dad, right there. And they're wondering why, and Moses has been reminding them, remember what happened. Now, if we remember back to what happened, what happened was they got to the, the border of the promised land, and they were going to enter into the promised land, but what did they do in their tents? Come on, give it to me. Oh, Yes. They murmured in their tents. They didn't even necessarily say it or direct it to God, but it was something within their hearts, and they were sort of whispering to one another. So it's like they were asking this question, what we read just right here. Are these nations are so big? They're greater than we are. How can we enter into this land and defeat them? How can we take this land that God has given us when they are so much stronger than we are? And if you remember... Uh, I likened the people who they were going to be doing battle with, with who? Do you remember? Conan, right? Yeah, I mean, these guys really are bigger and greater. The walls of Jericho are tall. Like, they aren't wrong about the way that they're apprising the situation. The nation that they're going into, the peoples that they're going to, to go and dispossess, they are greater in terms of, of what looks like materialistically right there. But... Who do they have on their side? God, right? Now, if I modernized this or or made a complete sentence out of this line, I'd put it like this. Don't say this to God. That's too hard. That's too big. That's too difficult for me. Now, the question that we have to ask ourselves is why, why was God so offended by them saying this and murmuring in their tents that he said, fine, get out of here and wander camping in the wilderness for, for 40 years. Why is that so offensive to God? And the answer is this. It demonstrated to God that they had a lack of faith. Now, faith is a word that we use a lot. You ever heard that word used maybe from the pulpit, right? I mean, we, we use this. It's in our songs. It's, it's just, it's, it's everywhere. We use this word faith all the time. What does faith mean and how does it, you might be not a Christian or maybe new to the faith and you're wondering 
and I just used it, new to the faith. What does faith mean, and, and, and how does that plug into what God wants out of me? Well, Hebrews defines it like this, and you might have, you might have memorized this in, in Sunday school or VBS or Bible camp if you grew up going to church. Faith is being certain of what we hope for and, some of you, certain of more murmurs, certain of what we do not see. Faith is, is being sure of what we hope for and certain of what we do not see. In other words, faith projects forward and says, I know that God has said he would do this, and I believe that God will do this. All right, that's faith. That also ties into hope. Hope is another thing that's very similar to this, in that hope projects forward and says, I, I, have, a, I have a sense that God, I have a hope that God will accomplish what God has promised to accomplish. But the key to faith is that it must be active. It can't be just something that we have here. It has to be something that takes real root in our lives. And the, the issue that God has with the Israelites is that as they're murmuring in their tents, as they're saying, God, this is too big for us, or we're afraid that this is too big for us, they're saying to God, God, we don't trust you. We don't trust you. Or at least we don't trust you all the way. We trust you a little bit, which is easy. We trust you when it's right in front of us, when it's not going to be too hard. When we're tougher than the person or the problem we're facing, I can trust God all day long, right? The, the trouble comes, the difficult part, is when the problem or the enemy or the issue is so much greater and more powerful than me, and I'm sitting there saying, how can this happen? How can I win against this? It's too big. It's too big. And then trusting in God becomes really tough. And that's what they're facing. Now, there are two grave errors. As we use this word faith, it's, it's all over the place. There, it, 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 I discovered it, it's used just as much in secular or non-Christian circles as it is in Christian circles. And they both actually share a, a, similar, a similar problem. And so I want to tackle the two errors there. There's a secular kind of world way of looking at uh, faith and a, a Christian way of, faith that, way of looking at faith that isn't right either. Because what we have to understand is that the way that we view faith, when I say that word and the things that kind of come into your mind, we've been shaped by the world around us or by the culture that we're a part of or by the Christian sphere we've been hanging out with or by who we've been watching on TV. Speaking of which, my secular version is my girl Oprah. We got a little clip. I think the ability to have a faith in life and breath and presence that is so strong that you trust this moment and then the next moment and then the next moment and then the next moment. There is a, there is a way of living that allows you to be fully present in this moment that I think is faith. It's faith in this very moment. So... Uh... Some of you I, were wondering what, what all that meant. And um, I, I, I don't want to poke fun. I really don't. Because I, as Christians, um, it, it's real easy to sort of see enemies. It's real easy to see enemies. Um, but I have plenty of friends uh, who would be sitting there and listening to this and being like, man, that really speaks to me. That really speaks to me. And it really speaks to a lot of people because it's got more YouTube hits than we've got. Right? So what is being said there that, that, that grabs people? What's being said there that grabs people is, is, is faith. That we all know that we don't actually have tomorrow in our hands, right? 
And we need to have something that, that gives us hope that tomorrow will be okay, right? You with me? I mean, that's universal. It's so universal. It can be, that was the most generic thing I've ever heard in my whole life, right? I mean, it was so generic. You could be a Christian, a Muslim, or an atheist, and you could watch that and be like, okay, okay. Because it was nebulous. It didn't have an actual fixed, a fixed point of reference. It just sort of the universe or my feelings or something like that. But we all have that same hunger. We all have that same issue. We don't have tomorrow. You've got kids. You've got family. You've got jobs. You've got all of these things. I want to know tomorrow's going to be okay. How am I going to live through today looking at social media or the world around me? Everything's so messed up. How am I going to make it through? Man, I can be present in the moment. And the universe can speak to me. And that resonates with lots and lots of people. And, and it's wrong. I mean, it's also just dead wrong. But Christians, before we sort of say, ah, oh, you know, exactly, thank you, preach it. I didn't get any preach it, so I'm disappointed. <laughs> we aren't that much better, honestly. We just have Bible verses we hide behind. This is a great verse, and you've heard it. If you've grown up, in, if, you're not, if you're new to church, you're like, I don't, okay, great verse. Uh, but if you've grown up in church or you've been in church for, for a few years, you've heard this verse before. This is a very familiar verse to us. Paul is kind of concluding this great, this great speech, this great chunk of scripture about the greatness and goodness of God. And he says this about faith, by grace you have been saved through faith. That is not of your own doing. It is a gift from God not a result of works, lest anyone should boast. And this is the classic verse for why Christians can sit in a pew on Sunday morning and go back to work on Monday morning and live the rest of the week as though they weren't Christians at all. Because we have these wonderful things. Well, look here. I have been saved through faith. It's not my own doing. It's a gift of God. It can't be a work because then I could boast. Therefore... If I believe in God and I accept him into my heart, whatever we mean by that, I've been saved. Now, I may, as a person uh, who is a Christian, may do a little good here and a little good there. I might be a nicer person today than I, I would have been without Jesus. But does it transform us so that we look like Jesus, challenging powers and systems of oppression, calling out sin, And living holy, godly lives to the sacrifice of our own good. Do we live like that? Is faith really transforming us and making us into the likeness of the crucified Savior? Or is it something we have between our ears? Because most of the time when I hear Christians talk about this word right here, they're saying, I think this about God. Now, Let's rewind the, the timetables from, from Ephesians, which is about you know, 2,000 years after Abraham and Moses, all the stuff that we're talking about here. Let's go back to the Israelites in their tents murmuring. What's their problem? They think the right things about God for the most part. But is their faith active enough to send them against the enemy whom, all materialistically, they can't defeat? No. So is the faith real? Is the faith active? Does the faith actually matter? See, we need a full-orbed vision of faith. All of you here who say, I have faith in God, I believe in God, you have to understand that this is 
something that has to activate in our lives so that we move forward. That verse I used, Hebrews 11, one that you've, you've probably heard or memorized, faith is being sure of what we hope for and certain what we do not see. And Abraham, through faith, did this. And Deborah did this. And Paul did this. And, and all of these different heroes of the faith, the, the faith that they have is not just a set of beliefs, but it's a set of belief meeting will that then activates the person so that they can live in accordance with God's will, accordance with God's law. See, the, the thing that breaks my heart as I, li- as I listen to that Oprah clip is that it has no object. There's no object for that faith. It, it, it's something that can t- I, I can make that into whatever I want it to be, which means that it is nothing. If you can make it into whatever you want it to be, if you can make faith or God or the universe or, or whatever into whatever you want it to be so that it just affirms you, that's fiction, guys. That's fiction. And I love fiction. Y'all know that. I love fiction. But it can't derive and direct my life. I need the real, the, the real to do that. And, and the Bible is so wonderful because it gives us a fixed object and a fixed object that gave its life, his life, so that we might see that faith has real application and power. Faith has a direct object. And this is the first, this is the opening salvo of one of the great letters of the Bible, the, the, the letter to the Romans. It says this, God promised beforehand through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures concerning his son who was descended from David according to the flesh. That is, he was the king of Israel. That's what he's saying there. And was declared to be the son of God in power according to the spirit of holiness and by his resurrection from the dead, Jesus Christ our Lord. This gives us a fixed point of faith. Faith is real because God has promised in the holy prophets, and he produced it in the sending of his son. And his son died on the cross and rose from the grave so that we might see the glory of God and become like Jesus, cruciformed in his image. Faith, then, is not good coming out of the universe. Faith is not, not simply, you know, you, you, you get what you give or you, what you put out is what you get back. Faith isn't any of those things, but rather faith is fixed in Jesus, who is the object, the perfecter, and the end of all of our faith, the the telos to which all of our, 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 our hope is aiming. And without that, there isn't faith, and there isn't hope. Romans 1.17 is, is from this point on as the letter continues on, so this is just a few verses later. It tells us, for in it, that is in the gospel, in the coming of Jesus, in the story of Jesus, his death, his resurrection, his ascension, the coming of the Holy Spirit, the, the birth of the church, for in it, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith, as it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. This is the most common translation that you'll have in your Bibles. From faith for faith. And I love it because there's a kind of symmetry there. Anybody else like symmetry? It's like the, like the, something's out of whack. You have to be the one who like fixes the picture. Raise your hand if you're the fix the picture because it's crooked person. Oh, yeah. So you're going to hate me now because I'm going to kill the symmetry. This word faith, pistis, this word faith, it can also be, and I think more faithfully, faithfully, rendered faithfulness. 
See, it isn't just what you have here, but it is faithfulness. It is from our faith which produces a faithfulness to where we are now loyal and living for Jesus Christ our Lord. See, I can believe that I'm married, and I could tell you all that I'm married, but until you see me interact with my wife, you won't know what faithfulness looks like. Faithfulness is one of those things where, where we're true, honest, we keep our words, we hold our allegiance. There's all kinds of ways in which we could, we could picture, describe faithfulness, but, but what we have to get into our minds as believers is that it isn't just what you think about God, and it isn't just what you do about God, it is what you think and do about God that points you to Jesus. How is he your master? How is he your master? And the problem for most of us is that a master tells you what to do and tells you what to not do, and not a one of us likes that. How is Jesus telling you to stop what you're doing and to do something else? That's faith. That's faith. That's real faith. Because if there is a real God, then he's got to have demands on my life and and pointing me in the direction because... I'm a mess, y'all. Can I get a witness? Not about me, right? I don't need that. But all of us, I, I went to see with the Dutchess, my favorite rapper last night, and he's got, this, he's got this line. He says, if I'm good, I'm missing something. If I'm good, then I'm missing something because I'm not good. God is good. And the master tells me, shows me, demands of me how I can be good. How can I participate in his righteousness? How can I participate in his justice? How can I direct my life so that it looks like him? That's what it means to have faith. That's what faith is all about. And that, that is what those Israelites were missing. That's what God heard when they said, I think this is too big. He heard them say, We don't trust you. And when we get in there and the going gets tough, our faith, our faithfulness will evaporate. It'll disappear. And I don't want your faith and I don't want my faith to be like that. I want us to have the kind of vibrant, robust faith that when temptation or pride or sin or persecution come at us, when that thing is so tall it looks like a giant, we slay the giant. Not by our power, but because God is powerful enough to take care of it all. Look back into, into Deuteronomy, because we have, some, we have some, some information here that really can help us out. If you say in your heart, these nations, verse 17, so back, back right to where we started. If you say in your heart, these nations are greater than I, how can I dispossess them? You shall not be afraid of them, but you shall remember what the Lord your God did to Pharaoh and to all of Egypt, the great trials that your eyes saw, the signs, the wonders, the mighty hand, the outstretched arm by which the Lord your God brought you out so that so will the Lord your God do to all of the peoples of whom you are afraid. I'll stop there for a second because I want you to notice that really important word there in verse 18. And if you've got, if you've got your Bible or if you've got a pen, just underline, remember. See that there? Remember. 
How do I increase, increase my faithfulness and my faith? I remember what God did. Now, I know that all of us were not there in Egypt, and we did not see the signs. We didn't see the waters part, but apparently that wasn't enough anyway. Have you said, God, show me a miracle? I just, I'll believe in you if I just see you do something powerful. Well, they saw like 10 plagues, and they saw the, the waters open, and they walked through them. They saw God bring water off a rock. They saw manna fall from the sky. They had birds just fly into their, into their hands. That didn't, like the pizza delivery guy wasn't there. just came flying over a hill, and they caught it. And it wasn't enough. You think if God did a miracle in front of you, it, wouldn't be an, it would be enough? Not when temptation comes a week later. And you say, well, maybe it was just the wind. No. Remember, though, remember what God did for you. How has God brought you through? How has God brought you here today so that you could sing his praises and you could hear his words? That you could meet with other people who care about you, who are willing to walk with you, who are willing to cry with you, who are willing to pray with you, who are willing to eat with you. Whose difference is whether a Democrat or Republican, whether you're a gun control nut or you've got a gun in your wherever, I don't know, wherever people keep guns, you know, whatever it is that divides us out there, the things that people are building walls and hating one another over, in here, Christ is king, and we are family. So remember the Lord your God, and let that increase your faith. And not just what you think about God, but your faithfulness to God and to his people. Let's keep reading there. Verse 19. The great trials that you saw, that your eyes saw, the signs and wonders, they also jump down to verse 20. Moreover, the Lord will send hornets among them, which sounds awful, right? I mean, that's just no good. Until those who are left and hide themselves from you are destroyed. You shall not be in dread of them. For the Lord your God is in your midst a great and awesome God. And I want to hang out on that last line. Again, if you, if you underline or make notes or anything, I love that line. When I read that line, I was like, oh, that's good. The Lord your God is in your midst. A great and awesome God. Nope. Couldn't remember what I had. The Lord your God is in your midst a great and awesome God. So, God wanted something, and what he wanted was a people, and what he wanted for that people was to dwell with that people. God wants to be in the midst of you, and if God is in the midst of you, and of course, looking at the Bible, this is the context of where we're at, and, and you and I, we're, we're way back here, where we've seen so much more than, than they experienced. The God in their midst was in a temple, barred by, by layers of tents, But you, who are the people of God today, have the Holy Spirit dwelling within you that you are never alone. You are never alone. God is always accessible to you. He is always present with you. You are, as I heard um, one of my favorite preachers, Leonard Ravenhill, say, you are only as far from God as you choose to be. God is omnipresent. You ever heard that? Omnipresent? means God God is everywhere. His presence is sort of always available. Which means that any time you are far from God, it is because you have chosen to set a wall between you and him. God is as present to you now as he was on the day of your baptism, as he will be at the day of your death. It is up to you to pursue the presence. 
God wants that presence. If you can imagine it, God wants something. And what he wants is fellowship with you. That's what he wants. That's a wonderful word. The second word that I love there is the God who is great and awesome. Now, how many of you are facing big, giant problems? <laughs> big, yeah, this is, a, you know, this, is like, this is not the place to pretend like you're perfect. Everybody else is perfect. They're jogging. Right now, we're, we're messed up. And we need God. And we acknowledge that, which is why we've come together to give him praise and honor. How many of you are facing difficult problems right now? How many of you are facing sins right now that you need to fight and get rid of? How many of you are facing problems that are so tall you think to yourself, man, that is too big? You have a God who is called your fortress. He can't be taken down. He is your fortress. He is called the refuge. He is your strength. He is the one who is faithful. Ooh, that's a big problem. He is so faithful that whatever we have experienced in our lives, and, and we have all experienced people who have been, you ever been, felt, experienced somebody who's been unfaithful to you? Maybe parents, maybe family. We've all been let down by somebody, but God is, God is faithful. The next one is that God is good. We have a God who is good. Whereas we are not good, God is good. And lastly, God is mighty to save. He is mighty to save. Whatever it is that you are facing, he's strong enough to defeat it. And my favorite thing about the scriptures is that as the whole Bible unveils and unravels and reveals this God who is so big and so other, and I've talked about this so many times, but I, I love it, uh, that, that, that when we describe or when the Bible describes God, he is like the likeness of a thing that we see. He is three steps back removed from our reality. That's how other God is. And yet the word the Bible most frequently uses when he describes God, when the Bible describes God, is Father. And describing us, sons and daughters. That's a good word, isn't it? That's a good word. Perhaps it's the father that you never had. Perhaps it's the father who let you down. Perhaps you know, you've experienced that, that sort of disappointment, but this is the perfect father, the God who is with you, who is for you, who is all of those things. He is a fortress. He is a refuge. He is strength. He is faithful. He is good. He is mighty to save your God, your father. That's good. I read this as the call to worship, but this is from Psalm 59. Let this sort of sink in for a second. But I will sing of your strength. I will sing aloud for your steadfast love in the morning. For you have been to me a fortress, a refuge in the day of my distress. Oh, my strength, I will sing praises to you. For you, O oh God, are my fortress, the God who shows me steadfast, continuous, faithful love. That is God. So what's that bring us to? What's that bring us to? It brings us to a very important conclusion. It is this. Don't say this. 
God is speaking to these people who a generation previously, their parents, they said this, and it didn't work out well for them. But more so, God is, God is craving a people who will have the kind of active faith, the kind of trust that you could even call allegiance. The faithful trust. Do not say to God, this is too big for me. Don't say that. Instead, I encourage you to say this. That last line we read, turn that into your prayer this week. When you wake up in the morning, like the Psalm 59 that I talked about, when you wake up in the morning, let this be the first words out of your mouth. That I have a God who is in my midst. He is with me. A great and awesome God. Let this be your word during the day when you face that, that massive thing, whatever that thing is for you. Let this be the word of the day. The thing that you say over and over again, my God, my God is in my midst, in the midst of me. He's great and he is awesome because that is the God we serve. Right now, as we come to a wrap, it, wrap it up, every one of us has a, a decision to make in the sense that each and every one of us is facing that giant, that hill, that, that sin, that, that trouble, that issue. And while I say this is your object of prayer during the week, I want you to understand that you don't pray it alone unless you choose to pray it alone. But you don't need to pray it alone. We are, as I said just a minute ago, we are a family who bear one another's burdens. And if you need somebody to help you carry this burden, I invite you to come forward. We'll have elders on the side, and they want to pray with you. They want to talk to you. We don't want to guilt anyone. We don't make everybody feel bad. Like I said, we're already all acknowledged that we're sinners in need of grace, right? And so we are here for one another. And so if you need to speak with somebody, pray with somebody, come on down front and we'll walk with you. If, if that's too much for you, then grab me or grab somebody else out in the foyer and, and let's talk, let's pray. We are in this together because we have a God who is in our midst, a great and awesome God. And all of God's people said, amen. All right, let's stand and sing praises to our God and King.